Granny's Wonderful Chair by Francis Brown. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Readers for Chapter 2. Narrator, read by Lynette Geisel. Storytelling Chair, read by Phil Chenever. Cuckoo, read by Ken Felt. Brother Scrub, read by Matthew Reese. Brother Spare, read by Peter Bishop. Maid Fairfeather, read by Rashada. Butter Tongue, Old Woman, Wood Witch, read by Joyce Couch. Spy, Son of Butter Tongue, read by Steve Belgule. Woodsman, read by Ken Felt. Chapter 2 The Christmas Cuckoo. Once upon a time there stood in the midst of a bleak moor in the north country a certain village. All its people were poor, for their fields were barren, and they had little trade, but the poorest of them all were two brothers called Scrub and Spare. They were cobblers, and had but one stall between them. It was a hut built of clay and wattles. The door was low and always open, for there was no window. The roof did not entirely keep out the rain and the only thing with any look of comfort about it was a wide hearth for which the brothers could never find wood enough to make a good fire there they worked in most brotherly friendship though the people did not give them very many shoes to make or mend the people of that village did not need many shoes and better cobblers than scrub and spare might be found spiteful people said there were no shoes so bad that they would not be worse for their mending Nevertheless, Scrub and Spare managed to live by means of their own trade, a small barley field and a cottage garden, till a new cobbler arrived in the village. He had lived in the chief city of the kingdom, and, by his own account, cobbled for the queen and the princesses. His awls were sharp and his lasts were new. He set up his stall in a neat cottage with two windows. The villagers soon found out that one patch of his would outwear two of the brothers. In short, all the mending left Scrub and Spare and went to the new cobbler. The season had been wet and cold, their barley did not ripen well, and the cabbages never half closed in the garden. So the brothers were poor that winter, and when Christmas came they had nothing to feast on but a barley loaf, a piece of musty bacon, and some small beer of their own brewing. Worse than that, the snow was very deep, and they could get no firewood. Their hut stood at the end of the village. Beyond it spread the bleak moor, now all white and silent. But that moor had once been a forest. Great roots of old trees were still to be found in it, loosened from the soil and laid bare by the winds and rains. One of these, a rough, heavy log, lay close to their door, the half of it above the snow. Spare said to his brother, Shall we sit here cold on Christmas Day while the great root lies yonder? Let us chop it up for firewood. The work will make us warm. No, said Scrub. It's not right to chop wood on Christmas. Besides, that root is too hard to be cut with any axe. Hard or not, we must have a fire, replied Spare. Come, brother, help me with it. Poor as we are, there is nobody in the village will have such a yule log as ours. Scrub liked to be a little grand sometimes, and in hopes of having a fine yule log, both brothers strove with all their might till, between pulling and pushing, 
the great old root was safe on the hearth, and soon began to crackle and blaze with the red embers. In high glee the cobblers sat down to their beer and bacon. The door was shut, for there was nothing but cold moonlight and snow outside, but the hut, strewn with fir branches and decked with holly, looked cheerful as the ruddy blaze flared up and made their hearts glad. "'Long life and good fortune to ourselves, brother,' said Spare. "'I hope you will drink that toast, and may we never have a worse fire on Christmas.' "'But what is that?' Spare set down the drinking horn, and the brothers listened in great surprise, for out of the blazing root they heard, "'Cuckoo! Cuckoo!' as plain as ever the spring bird's voice came over the moor on a May morn. "'It is something bad,' said Scrub, very much frightened. "'Maybe not,' said Spare and out of the deep hole at the side which the fire had not reached flew a large gray cuckoo, and alighted on the table before them. Much as the cobblers had been surprised at first, they were still more so when the bird began to speak. "'Good gentlemen,' said the cuckoo, "'what season is this?' "'It's Christmas,' replied Spare. "'Then a merry Christmas to you,' said the cuckoo. "'I went to sleep in the hollow of that old root last summer,' and never woke till the heat of your fire made me think it was summer again. But, now, since you have burned my lodging, let me stay in your hut till the spring comes round. I only want a hole to sleep in, and when I go on my travels next summer, you may be sure I will bring you some gift for your trouble. Stay and welcome, said Spare, while Scrub sat wondering if it were something bad or not. I'll make you a good warm hole in the thatch. But you must be hungry after that long sleep. There is a slice of barley bread. Come, help us to keep Christmas. The cuckoo ate up the slice, drank some water from the brown jug, for it would take no beer, and flew into a snug hole which Spare scooped for it in the thatch of the hut. Scrub said he was afraid the bird wouldn't be lucky. But as it slept on and the days passed, he forgot his fears. So the snow melted, the heavy rains came, the cold grew less, and the days became longer. One sunny morning the brothers were awakened by the cuckoo shouting its own cry to let them know the spring had come. Now, said the bird, I am going on my travels over the world to tell men of the spring. There is no country where trees bud or flowers bloom that I will not cry in before the year goes round. Give me another slice of bread to keep me on my journey, and tell me what gift I shall bring you at the end of twelve months. Scrub would have been angry with his brother for cutting so large a slice, their store of barley meal being low, but his mind was so taken up with what present it would be best for him to ask. At length a lucky thought struck him. Good Master Cuckoo, said he, if a great traveller who sees all the world like you could know of any place where diamonds or pearls were to be found, one of a fairly large size, brought in your beak, would help such poor men as my brother and me to get something better than barley bread to give you the next time you come. I know nothing of diamonds or pearls, said the cuckoo. They are in the hearts of rocks and the sands of rivers. I know only of that which grows on the earth. But, there are two trees close by the well that lies at the end of the world. One of them is called the golden tree, for its leaves are all of beaten gold. Every winter they fall into the well with a sound like that of scattered gold, and I know not what becomes of them. As for the other, 
it is always green, like a laurel. Some call it the wise, and some the merry tree. Its leaves never fall, but they that get one of them keep a cheerful heart in spite of all troubles, and can make themselves as merry in a hut as in a palace. Good Master Cuckoo, bring me a leaf off that tree, cried Spare. Now, brother, don't be a fool, said Scrub. Think of the leaves of gold. Dear Master Cuckoo, bring me one of them. Before another word could be said, the cuckoo had flown out of the open door and was shouting its spring cry over moor and meadow. The brothers were poorer than ever that year. Nobody sent them a single shoe to mend. The new cobbler said in scorn they should come over and work for him. Scrub and Spare would have left the village but for their barley field, their cabbage garden, and a maid called Fair Feather, whom both the cobblers had courted for seven years without even knowing whom she meant to favor. Sometimes Fair Feather seemed to favor Scrub, sometimes she smiled on Spare, but the brothers were always friends and did not quarrel. They sowed their barley, planted their cabbage, and, now that their trade was gone, worked in the fields of some of the rich villagers to make out a scanty living. So the seasons came and passed. Spring, summer, harvest, and winter followed each other as they have always done. At the end of the winter Scrub and Spare had grown so poor and ragged that Fair Feather thought them beneath her notice. Old neighbors forgot to invite them to wedding feasts or merrymaking. They thought the cuckoo had forgotten them, too, when at daybreak on the first of April they heard a hard beak knocking at their door and a voice crying, Cuckoo! Cuckoo! Let me in with my gifts! Spare ran to the door, and in came the cuckoo, carrying on one side of its bill a golden leaf larger than that of any tree in the north country, and in the other one like that of the common laurel, only it had a fresher green. Here, it said, giving the gold to scrub and the green to spare. It is a long way to carry them from the end of the world. Give me a slice of bread, for I must tell the north country that the spring has come. Scrub did not grudge the thickness of that slice, though it was cut from their last loaf. So much gold had never been in the cobbler's hands before, and he could not help exulting over his brother. See the wisdom of my choice, he said, holding up the large leaf of gold. As for yours, as good might be plucked from any hedge. I wonder such a wise bird would carry the like so far. Good master cobbler, cried the cuckoo, finishing the slice. Your words are more hasty than kind. If your brother is disappointed this time, I go on the same journey every year, and for your kind treatment, We'll think it no trouble to bring each of you whichever leaf you wish. Darling Cuckoo, cried Scrub, bring me a golden one. And Spare, looking up from the green leaf on which she gazed as though it were a crown jewel, said, Be sure to bring me one from the merry tree. And away flew the Cuckoo once again. This is the feast of all fools, and it ought to be your birthday, said Scrub. Did ever man fling away such a chance of becoming rich? Much good your merry leaves will do when you are so poor. So he went on, but Spare laughed at him and answered with many old proverbs about the cares that come with gold, till Scrub at length, growing angry, 
vowed his brother was not fit to live with a gentleman like himself, and taking his lasts, his awls, and his golden leaf, he left the wattle hut and went to tell the villagers. They were surprised at the folly of spare, and charmed with Scrub's good sense, more so when he showed them the golden leaf, and told that the cuckoo would bring him one every spring. The new cobbler at once made him a partner. The greatest people sent him their shoes to mend, Fair Feather smiled kindly on him, and in the course of the summer they were married with a grand wedding feast, at which the whole village danced, except Spare, who was not invited, because the bride said he was low-minded, and his brother thought he was a disgrace to the family. Indeed, all who heard the story thought that Spare must be mad, and nobody would take up with him but a lame tinker, a beggar boy, and a poor woman, who was looked upon as a witch, because she was old and ugly. As for Scrub, he went with Fair Feather to a cottage close by that of the new cobbler, and quite as fine. There he mended shoes so as to please everyone, had a scarlet coat for holidays, and a fat goose for dinner every wedding day. Fair Feather, too, had a crimson gown and fine blue ribbons, but neither she nor Scrub were content, for to buy all these grand things the golden leaf had to be broken and parted with, piece by piece so the last morsel was gone before the cuckoo came with another. Spare lived on in the old hut and worked in the cabbage garden. Scrub had got the barley field because he was the elder. Every day his coat grew more ragged and the hut more weather-beaten, but the people remarked that he never looked sad or sour. The wonder was that from the time they began to keep his company the tinker grew kinder to the ass with which he traveled the country, the beggar-boy kept out of mischief, and the old woman was never cross to her cat or angry with the children. Every first of April the cuckoo came tapping at their doors with the golden leaf to scrub and the green to spare. Fair Feather would have treated him nobly with wheat and bread and honey, for she had some notion trying to make him bring two gold leaves instead of one, but the cuckoo flew away to eat barley bread with spare, saying he was not fit company for fine people and liked the old hut where he slept so snugly from Christmas to spring. Scrub spent the golden leaves, and Spare kept the merry ones, and I know not how many years passed in this manner, when a great lord, who owned the village, came to dwell near. His castle stood on the moor. It was old and strong, with high towers and a deep moat. All the country, as far as one could see from the highest torrent, belonged to this lord, but he had not been there for twenty years, and would not have come then, only he was very sad. The cause of his grief was that he had been prime minister at court, and in high favor, till somebody told the crown prince that he had spoken with great disrespect about the turning out of his royal highness's toes, and the king that he did not lay on taxes enough, whereon the north country lord was turned out of office and sent to his own estate. There he lived for some weeks in very bad temper. The servants said nothing would please him, and the people of the village put on their worst clothes, lest he should raise their rents. But one day in the harvest time his lordship chanced to meet Spare gathering watercress at a meadow stream, and fell into talk with the cobbler. How it was, nobody could tell, but from that hour the great lord cast away his sadness. He forgot his lost office and his court enemies, 
the king's taxes and the crown prince's toes and went about with a noble train hunting fishing and making merry in his hall where all travellers were well treated and the poor were welcome this strange story soon spread through the north country and a great company came to the cobbler's hut rich men who had lost their money poor men who had lost their friends beauties who had grown old wits who had gone out of fashion all came to talk with spare and whatever their troubles had been all went home merry the rich gave him presents the poor gave him thanks spare's coat was no longer ragged he had bacon with his cabbage and the people of the village began to think there was some sense in him after all by this time his fame had reached the chief city of the kingdom and even the court there were a great many discontented people there besides the king who had lately fallen into ill-humor because a princess who lived in a kingdom near his own and who had seven islands for her dowry would not marry his eldest son so a royal page was sent to spare with a velvet cloak a diamond ring and a command that he should come to court at once to-morrow is the first of april said spare and i will go with you two hours after sunrise the page lodged all night at the castle and the cuckoo came at sunrise with the merry leaf the court is a fine place he said when the cobbler told him he was going but i cannot come there they would lay snares and catch me so be careful of the leaves i have brought you and give me a farewell slice of barley bread spare was sorry to part with the cuckoo little as he had of his company but he gave him a slice which would have broken scrub's heart in the former times it was so large and having sewed up the leaves in the lining of his leather doublet he set out with the page on his way to the court his coming caused great surprise there everybody wondered what the king could see in such a common-looking man but hardly had his majesty talked with him half an hour when the princess and her seven islands were forgotten and orders given that a feast for all comers should be spread in the large dining-hall the princes of the blood the great lords and ladies the ministers of state and the judges of the land had a talk with spare the more they talked the lighter grew their hearts so that such changes had never been seen at court the lords forgot their spites and the ladies their envies the princes and ministers made friends among themselves and the judges showed no favor as for spare he had a room set apart for him in the palace and a seat at the king's table one sent him rich robes and another costly jewels but in the midst of all his greatness he still wore the leather doublet which the palace servants thought very mean one day the king's attention being drawn to it by the chief page he asked why Spare didn't give it to a beggar. But the cobbler answered, High and mighty king, this doublet was with me before silk and velvet came. I find it easier to wear than the court cut. Moreover, it serves to keep me humble by recalling the days when it was my holiday dress. The king thought this was a wise speech and gave orders that no one should find fault with the leather doublet. So things went on till news of his brother's good fortune reached Scrub in the moorland cottage on another first of April, when the cuckoo came with two golden leaves because he had none to carry for spare. Think of that, said Fairfeather. Here we are spending our lives in this humdrum place and spare making his fortune at court with two or three paltry green leaves. What would they say to our golden ones? 
let us pack up and make our way to the king's palace i am sure he will make you a lord and me a lady of honor not to speak of all the fine clothes and presents we shall have scrub thought there was a great deal in what his wife said and they began to pack up but it was soon found that there were very few things in the cottage fit for carrying to the court fairfeather could not think of her wooden bowls spoons and plates being seen there scrub thought his last and alls had better be left behind as without them no one would suspect him of being a cobbler so putting on their holiday clothes fairfeather took her looking-glass and scrub his drinking-horn and each carried a golden leaf wrapped up with great care that none might see it till they reached the palace the pair set out with high hopes how far scrub and fairfeather journeyed i cannot say but when the sun was high and warm at noon they came into a wood both tired and hungry husband said fairfeather you should not have such mean thoughts how could one eat barley bread on the way to a palace let us rest ourselves under this tree and look at our leaves to see if they are safe in looking at the leaves and talking of what they were going to do when they came to the court scrub and fairfeather did not see that a very thin old woman had slipped from behind a tree with a long staff in her hand and a great bag by her side noble lord and lady she said for i know you are such by your voices though my eyes are dim and my hearing none of the sharpest will you tell me where i might find some water to mix a bottle of mead which i carry in my bag because it is too strong for me as the old woman spoke she pulled out of her bag a large wooden bottle such as shepherds used in the olden times corked with leaves rolled together and having a small wooden cup hanging from its handle perhaps you will do me the favor to taste it she said it is only made of the best of honey i also have cream cheese and a wheaten loaf here if such noble persons as you eat the like scrub and fairfeather were now sure after this speech that there must be about them something of the look that noble persons have besides they were very hungry and having with great haste wrapped up the golden leaves they told the old woman that they were not at all proud notwithstanding the lands and castles they had left behind them in the north country and would willingly help to lighten the bag the old woman would hardly sit down beside them she was so humble and modest but at length she did and before the bag was half empty scrub and fairfeather firmly believed that there must be something very noble-looking about them the old woman was a wood-witch her name was buttertongue and all her time was spent in making mead which being boiled with strange herbs and spells had the power of making all who drank it fall asleep and dream with their eyes open she had two dwarfs of sons one was named spy and the other pounce wherever their mother went they were not far behind and whoever tasted her mead was sure to be robbed by the dwarves scrub and fairfeather sat leaning against the old tree the cobbler had a lump of cheese in his hand his wife held fast a hunch of bread their eyes and mouths were both open but they were dreaming of the fine things at the court when the old woman raised her shrill voice what ho my sons come here and carry home the harvest no sooner had she spoken than the two little dwarfs darted out of the nearest thicket 
idle boys! cried the mother. What have you done today to help our living? I have been to the city, said Spy, and could see nothing. These are hard times for us. Everybody minds his work so contentedly since that cobbler came. But here is a leathern doublet which his page threw out of the window. It's of no use, but I brought it to let you see I was not idle. And he tossed down Spare's doublet with the merry leaves in it which he had carried like a bundle on his little back. To let you know how Spy got hold of it, I must tell you that the forest was not far from the great city where Spare lived in such high esteem. All things had gone well with the cobbler, till the king thought that it was quite unbecoming to see such a worthy man without a servant. His majesty, therefore, to let all men understand his royal favor towards Spare, appointed one of his own pages to wait upon him. The name of this youth was Tinseltoes, and though he was the seventh of the king's pages in rank, nobody in all the court had grander notions. Nothing could please him that had not gold or silver about it, and his grandmother feared he would hang himself for being made page to a cobbler. As for Spare, if anything could have troubled him, this mark of his majesty's kindness would have done it. The honest man had been so used to serve himself that the page was always in the way. But his merry leaves came to his aid, and to the great surprise of his grandmother, Tinseltoes took to the new service in a wonderful way. Some said it was because Spare gave him nothing to do but play at bowls all day on the palace green. Yet one thing vexed the heart of Tinseltoes, and that was his master's leather doublet. But for it, he was sure, people would never remember that Spare had been a cobbler, and the page took a great deal of pains to let him see how much out of the fashion it was at court. But Spare answered Tinseltoes as he had done the king, and at last, finding nothing better would do, the page got up one fine morning earlier than his master, and tossed the leather doublet out of the back window into a lane where Spy found it and brought it to his mother. That nasty thing, said the old woman. Where's the good in it? By this time Pounce had taken everything of value from Scrub and Fairfeather, the looking-glass, the silver-rimmed horn, the husband's scarlet coat, the wife's gay coat, and above all the golden leaves which so gladdened the hearts of old Buttertongue and her sons, that they threw the leather doublet over the sleeping cobbler for a joke, and went off to their hut in the middle of the forest. The sun was going down when Scrub and Fairfeather awoke from dreaming that they had been made a lord and lady, and sat clothed in silk and velvet, feasting with the king in his palace hall. They were greatly disappointed to find their golden leaves and all their best things gone. Scrub tore his hair and vowed to take the old woman's life, while Fairfeather uttered loud cries of sorrow. But Scrub, feeling cold for a want of his coat, put on the leather doublet without asking or caring whence it came. Hardly was it buttoned on when a change came over him. He began to talk so merrily that, instead of crying, Fairfeather made the wood ring with laughter. Both busied themselves in getting up a hut of branches, in which Scrub kindled a fire with a flint and steel, which, together with his pipe, he had brought unknown to Fairfeather, who had told him the like was never heard of at the court. 
Then they found a pheasant's nest at the root of an old oak, made a meal of roasted eggs, and went to sleep on a heap of long green grass which they had gathered, with nightingales singing all night long in the old trees about them. So it happened that Scrub and Fairfeather stayed day after day in the forest, making their hut larger and more cozy against the winter, living on wild birds' eggs and berries, and never thinking of their lost golden leaves or their journey to the court. In the meantime, Spare had got up and missed his doublet. Tinseltoes, of course, said he knew nothing about it. The whole palace was searched, and every servant questioned, till all the court wondered why such a fuss was made about an old leather doublet. That very day things came back to their old fashion. Quarrels began among the lords, and envies among the ladies. The king said his people did not pay him half enough taxes. The queen wanted more jewels, the servants took to their old quarrels, and got up to some new ones. Spare found himself getting strangely dull and very much out of place. Nobles began to ask what business a cobbler had at the king's table, and his majesty ordered the palace records to be searched to find out if such a thing had ever taken place before. The cobbler was too wise to tell all he had lost with that doublet, but as by this time he knew the court customs, he offered a reward of fifty gold pieces to anyone who would bring him news about it. Scarcely was this made known in the city when the gates and outer courts of the palace were filled by men, women, and children, some bringing leather doublets of every cut and color, some with tales of what they had heard and seen in their walks round about the palace. So much news about all sorts of great people came out of these stories that lords and ladies ran to complain of Spare as one who spoke against people. His Majesty, being now sure that there was no example in all the palace records of such a retainer, sent forth a decree sending the cobbler away forever from the court, and giving all his goods to the page Tinseltoes. That royal decree was hardly issued before the page had taken for himself Spare's rich room, his costly garments, and all the presents the people at court had given him, while Spare, having no longer the fifty pieces of gold to give, was glad to make his escape out of a back window, for fear of the nobles who vowed to have revenge on him, and the crowd who were ready to stone him for cheating them about his doublet. The window from which Spare let himself down with a strong rope was that from which Tinsel Toes had tossed the doublet, and as the cobbler came down late in the twilight, a poor woodman, with a heavy load of faggots, stopped and stared at him in great surprise. "'What is the matter, friend?' asked Spare. "'Did you never see a man coming down from a back window before?' "'Why,' said the woodman, "'the last morning I passed here, a leathern doublet came out of that very window, and I feel sure you are the owner of it.' "'That I am, friend,' said the cobbler eagerly. Can you tell me which way the doublet went? As I walked on, said the woodman, a dwarf called Spy bundled it up and ran off to his mother in the forest. Honest friend, said Spare, taking off the last of his fine clothes, a grass-green cloak edged with gold, I will give you this if you will follow the dwarf and bring me back my doublet. It would not be good to carry faggots in, said the woodman. But if you want back your doublet, 
The road to the forest lies at the end of this lane. And he trudged away. Having made up his mind to find his doublet, and sure that neither crowd nor nobles could catch him in the forest, Spare went on his way and was soon among the tall trees, but neither hut nor dwarf could he see. Moreover the night came on, the wood was dark and thick, but here and there the moon shone through its lanes, the great owls flitted about, and the nightingale sang. So he went on, hoping to find some place of shelter. At last the red light of a fire, shining through a thicket, led him to the door of a low hut. It stood half open, as if there was nothing to fear, and within he saw his brother Scrub snoring loudly on a bed of grass, at the foot of which lay his own leathern doublet, while Fairfeather, in a dress made of plaited rushes, sat roasting pheasants' eggs by the fire. "'Good evening, mistress,' said Spare, stepping in. The blaze shone on him, but so changed was her brother-in-law with his court life that Fairfeather did not know him and she answered far more kindly than was her wont. "'Good evening, master. Whence come you so late? But speak low, for my good man has tired himself cutting wood, and is taking a sleep, as you see, before supper.' "'A good rest to him,' said Spare, seeing he was not known. "'I come from the court for a day's hunting, and have lost my way in the forest.' "'Sit down and have a share of our supper,' said Fair Feather. "'I will put some more eggs in the ashes. And tell me the news of court.' I used to think of it long ago when I was young and foolish. Did you never go there? said the cobbler. So fair a dame as you would make the ladies wonder. You are pleased to flatter, said Fair Feather. But my husband has a brother there, and we left our moorland village to try our fortune also. An old woman at the entrance to this forest, by means of fair words, got us to take some strong drink, which caused us to fall asleep and dream of great things. But when we woke, everything had been robbed from us. My looking-glass, my scarlet cloak, my husband's Sunday coat, and in place of all the robbers left him that old doublet, which he has worn ever since, and he never was so merry in all his life, though we live in this poor hut. It is a shabby doublet, that, said Spare, taking up the garment, and seeing that it was his own, for the merry leaves were still sewed in its lining. It would be good for hunting in, however. Your husband would be glad to part with it, I dare say, in exchange for this handsome cloak. And he pulled off the green mantle and buttoned on the doublet, much to Fairfeather's delight, who ran and shook Scrub, crying, Husband, husband, rise and see what a good bargain I have made. Scrub gave one last snore and muttered something about the root being hard. But he rubbed his eyes, gazed up at his brother, and said, Spare, is that really you? How did you like the court? And have you made your fortune? That I have, brother, said Spare, in getting back my own good leathern doublet. Come, let us eat eggs and rest ourselves here this night. In the morning we will return to our old hut at the end of the moorland village, where the Christmas cuckoo will come and bring us leaves. Scrub and Fairfeather agreed. So in the morning they all returned and found the old hut little the worse for wear and weather. The people of the village came about them to ask the news of court and see if they had made their fortune. Everybody was surprised to find the three poorer than ever, but somehow they liked to go to the hut. Spare brought out the lasts and the awls he had hidden in the corner. Scrub and he began their old trade again, and the whole north country found out that there never were such cobblers. 
They mended the shoes of lords and ladies as well as the common people. Everybody was well pleased with the work. Their trade grew greater from day to day, and all that were discontented or unlucky came to the hut as in old times, before Spare went to the court. The rich brought them presents, the poor did them service. The hut itself changed, no one knew how. Flowering honeysuckle grew over its roof, red and white roses grew thick about its door. Moreover, the Christmas cuckoo always came on the first of April, bringing three leaves of the merry tree, for Scrub and Fairfeather would have no more golden ones. So it was with them when I last heard the news of the North Country. End of chapter 2